0: Yeah, we're going to read together from God's Word, from Psalm 32. (laughs) Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him, and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you while you may be found. Surely when the mighty waters rise, they will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you and watch over you. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the man who trusts in him. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all you who are upright in heart. Just one or two things just to, to say. Just first of all to say that you know, after we've preached, after I've preached God's Word and we sing, then we come and gather around the Lord's table and we invite everyone here who knows and loves Jesus Christ as our Saviour and Lord to gather with us around the table. Uh, those who are upstairs can either stay upstairs and receive communion or they can come and just join in the fellowship here. But we invite you all who know Jesus to share with us around the Lord's table. And at the close of the service, we have tea and coffee and stuff, a chance to talk together and share together through the back. And we hope you'll all be able to stay for that as well. Let's just come and pray. Father, we just want to thank you for the experience of the psalmist that we read of there in that psalm. And it just reminds us that you're a God who meets with us in real life, that you're a God who understands our hearts. You're the God who made us and you understand the needs that we have in our life. You understand exactly where we are right now in our life. And you want to meet with us. Lord, speak to your people gathered here today. Open our hearts to receive of you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, coming back from my holiday, I just thought that over the next few weeks, that what I'd like to do is a a short summer series where we look at some of the common life problems, the the problematic states of mind that many people live with and have to deal with. And what I want us to do is really, via the vehicle of the Psalms, uh, one of the most personal, practical, life-rooted books in the Bible, what I want us to do is to look and see what the Psalms actually have got to offer in terms of our understanding of and also how to overcome what are often crippling for many life problems. So the first of these problems we're going to look at relates to something that's actually much more prevalent within the church than we're perhaps aware of or maybe we'd like to admit to, and that is depression. I have to say that during the course of my... Sorry about that. During the itchy arm battle deal with it in a different way. During the course of my time in ministry, I've been involved at different times with a fair number of people suffering from depression. I'm still assessing and trying to figure out if my ministry has perhaps been a major contributing cause of their depression, but it certainly has. It has been my responsibility, and I would say my privilege, to try at times and help them through it. As a result of this, I've learned one or two things about people who are depressed. For instance, one thing that really irritates them is when someone who they know has never gone through anything like what they're going through, for believe me, there's a the world of difference from feeling a bit down now and again to suffering from true depression. But when someone like this comes up to a depressed person and says something along the lines of, I know how you feel, but just buck up, put a smile on your face, and you'll soon be all right. Now, you know, the person who gives this kind of advice probably, I'm sure, means well. But advice like this, advice that is so obviously superficial, that there's nothing to do to deal with either the real roots, the real cause of someone's problem, or with the depths of their emotion advice like this is absolutely useless. And in certain contexts, all I can see it doing is uh, endangering the personal safety of the advice giver. However, today from this psalm, from David's experience here, we're given real advice of true depth. For in this psalm, we're confronted not by the the meaningless chatter of the uninformed and essentially uninvolved, but rather by the deep spiritual counsel of one who has stood, as some of us have stood, in the dark valleys of spiritual experience. Here, Spurgeon, he says, no instructor is as efficient as one who testifies to what he has personally known and felt. He writes well, who, like the spider, spins his matter out of his bowels. He had a colourful turn of phrase. But another guy, wiser, is, is maybe a, a little less colourful, but equally helpful, when he says, the poet wrote the two beatitudes, that is, the blesseds, with which this psalm opens, with his heart's blood. The blessed knowledge of religious truth they express has been gained by this man in the course of an agonizing battle which he fought out in his soul against self that he might attain the truth that holds good before God. But if superficial advice irritates the depressed person, then what absolutely devastates them Is the actual spoken word or the unspoken assumption that no true Christian or at least no Christian in any way worth their salt would, should be going through the experience you are going through. But I would ask you to take note that the David who shares with us in this psalm is certainly a true believer. And despite the mistakes that he made in his life, he was also undoubtedly a man of real spiritual maturity and is far from alone, for both within and also out with the Bible. In men like Elijah, Jeremiah, Moses, even Paul, in men like John Wesley, Spurgeon himself, and men like these who are heroes of the faith, we find that these men too have known times of deep depression. Evelyn Peterson, who's a, a Christian counselor and author, she helpfully shares here many Christians suffer emotionally but feel they must keep quiet about it. This is due to the belief that Christians should not be emotionally ill. Somehow it is assumed that one's corrected, that is redeemed spiritual nature, will automatically maintain a healthy psychological nature too. As a result, signs of uh, emotional distress are interpreted as a spiritual disease called lack of faith. This leaves the Christian with but two alternatives. Either he must repress reality and struggle to cope with stress by acting normal, or he must crack up emotionally, admit the problem, and end up feeling guilty. She goes on. But Christians are human beings. Therefore, they are vulnerable to physical and or psychological illness. Physical disease is caused by identifiable factors, for example, viruses, heredity, age, accidents. The Christian is exposed as much to all of these as is the non-Christian. Exactly the same is true of emotional illness. Now, by and large, I would agree with Evelyn Peterson, but I would want to add just two things. First, that there is such a thing A spiritual depression. And also, in addition to that, the fact that as Christians, in comparison to those who are outside of Christ, that as Christians, we have access to extra help, to new and unimaginable spiritual resources through faith in Christ. But let's be clear. The fact that we are Christians, The find that in Jesus Christ we've been given a new spiritual being. This doesn't mean that either we are perfect or that we are exempt from the problems of the rest of humanity of our world. So I believe as Christians that this means that we've got to learn to face up to our problems properly, biblically. As David did here, rather than yeah. trying to suppress them by living a Christianity that's a lie. Pretended to be joyful and contented, at peace, when actually the true reality is so very different. We need to turn away from this because all this will do is just drive us to despair. And you know, as a church, as the church, we need to provide an atmosphere in which this can happen. And we do this as we learn not to be judgmental when others are passing through tough times. You know, the kind of thing. Imagine that happening to them. Imagine them reacting that way. Imagine them feeling as they seem to feel. I thought that they were mature. I thought they had their spiritual act together. With all this, of course, actually arising straight out of the sinful Pride of the human heart, and in the end, straight out of the pit. This desire to look down on, to feel superior to others, and instead, what we need to learn to be and should be as God's people is to be loving, caring, supportive as our brothers and sisters go through a dark chapter in their life. You see, we need to be servants to them, to minister to them, and help them to get back out into. The light. That, of course, I want to say we need to take care. We know that our love isn't of the smothering kind that just kind of sustains them and helps keep them where they are. Not that. Our love and support needs to be of the kind that reaches out and that helps the sick to get well, to get up and walk, stage by stage, step by step, by their side until they're restored. Now, you see, it says we'll learn to do this, that then Christians will be built up, that the church will function as it should, and that God will be glorified. And nothing matters more than this. Nothing matters more than this. But let's see what lessons we can learn here from David's experience. And where we're going to begin is by looking, first of all, at David's distress which is laid out for us here in verses 3 and 5, or 3, to 5. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Now there's something here that I I need to point out to you that, that it's really vitally important that we grasp if we're going to properly understand ourselves, never mind depression. And it's something that we see here so clearly working its way out in the experience of David. And that is, that as people, we are whole people. Now, you see, frequently we we talk separately about our physical self, our emotional self, and our our spiritual self, etc. And often, at different times, to speak in that way can be necessary and can be helpful. And yet, basically, we are whole people. Every aspect of our humanity is interrelated to the extent that you you can't touch the one without having an effect on the other. So you see, when someone is depressed, normally there is a physical, emotional, and spiritual dimension to that depression, as there was for David here. For physically, he tells us that he felt, verse 3, as if his bones were wasting away. Verse 4, as if his strength was sapped as if in the heat of summer. As if then all his energy, all his zest for life had gone. And then emotionally, this worked its way out in his verse 3, groaning all day long in his negative, pessimistic attitude toward life. And then spiritually, He tells us that it seemed as if God's hand was continually heavy upon him. As if he had no peace with God, no fellowship, no relationship of love with him. Now you see the difficulty for someone suffering from depression and for anyone trying to minister to them is to find out just what the primary cause of that depression is. As opposed to what are just the resultant side effects The symptoms. Now, as we explore later, clearly we'll see that the roots of David's depression here were spiritual. They were spiritual. But you see, sometimes our depression actually has a physical source. It's because maybe of the the stage of life that we're at, struggling to come to terms maybe with, with adolescence. Maybe strongly to come to terms at a different point with the added responsibility of family life or later with advancing years. Or maybe it's an undiscovered illness or it's a bad diet, it's a lack of proper sleep and rest. These or any number of other physical problems can be the cause of someone's depression. Until that's discovered, until it's faced up to and it's dealt with, then this will have an inevitable knock-on effect on our emotional and spiritual life as well. Similarly, when our depression has emotional roots, due again maybe to life changes, or to rejection in childhood, that eats away at our soul and casts a long dark shadow over our life. A bereavement that leaves us feeling as if our life has been torn apart. Or there's that famous... Emptiness syndrome, we often hear talked about, where parents feel desolated, devastated when their children grow up and leave home. Because having devoted their lives to them, life suddenly then becomes empty and meaningless. I have to say, I actually never suffered from this. I suffered from the, oh no, they're coming back again to the nest syndrome. (laughs) That happened when we had a period when our daughter and our son, at different times, both returned home to live with us. There was a clash of lifestyles. My peace was shattered. The TV controller was taken out of my hands. That was the worst of all. But you see, serious emotional problems, until they're faced up to and dealt with, they're bound to have an overflow effect on us physically. And spiritually, for example if we 're unloved as a child it 's not too big a jump for us to feel unlovable and unwanted, and that 's bound to lead to problems with our relationship with God and our spiritual life, or again, the problem might be primarily spiritual, with this having physical and emotional side effects, as I believe is david 's situation here now I know i 've mentioned this before, but i 'll say it again that That my personal way of trying to deal with this is to start at the basic level and to work from there. So start with the physical, move on to the emotional, and finally to go to the spiritual. But I do hope I'm not making this sound too simple. I hope I'm not because as people we are incredibly complicated, interconnected beings. So sometimes finding the, the root cause of a problem can be about as easy as visually tracing the separate strands in a plate of spaghetti. And, and one writer, Roy Clements, I got a little quote from him that I think illustrates this complexity well. He says, "In nine times out of ten, in his opinion, what people call spiritual depression is nothing more than ordinary natural depression as it affects a spiritually minded person. And he says it's very important to draw the distinction between symptom and cause. And and just to kind of try and put another angle on this, if it's not enough already, there are times even when our problems maybe are primarily emotional, that's the root of it, but when the solution to it is still spiritual. Say, for example, when we can't sort out the emotional problems of the past and present, Because humanly speaking, the solution to this doesn't lie in our hands. Someone else has got to respond. Someone else has got to move before there can be a true final solution. So sometimes then, the solution is to forgive no matter what. In God's strength, in God's name. Now that doesn't mean that our relationships will maybe be restored exactly to the way they were, that things will go back to how they used to be. But what it does mean is that we will have love and forgiveness in our hearts. What it does mean is that we will be freed from that crippling bondage to bitterness. And that when and if that other person repents, that we will be standing ready For reconciliation. But David here found that his problem is spiritual. It's to do with the fact that for one reason or another, he hid his sin. Verse 3. Kept silent about his sin. Why did he do that? Well, perhaps because of shame. Perhaps because of pride. We don't actually really know in this instance, but these are characteristics of David's life that we find reported clearly elsewhere in the Bible. But it's been because of this that David has had no peace with God. That David's felt, verse 4, that day and night God's hand has been heavy upon him. That he's felt as if God is pressing in on him, that God's pursuing him, that God's driving him to submit. And it's been this spiritually rooted problem that has produced in David what we today would call depression, with all sorts of physical and emotional side effects. Now, you know, I'm sure that when David was in the middle of this, I'm sure that he could probably have seen nothing good in it. And maybe for a while he didn't even know the reason for it. He didn't know why he was suffering as he was. But because of his stubbornness, because of his refusal for one reason or another just to give in and face up to and deal with his sin, because of this, God had to pursue him. God had to rack his conscience. For you see, if alternatively, God would just say, well, hey, let's just let David alone. Let's just leave him. Let's just let him fester in his sin. then, because God is a holy God. Because God's separate from everything that is sin. So David's fellowship then with God from that time on. Would have been impaired. And his spiritual growth and progress. Would have ground. To an absolute standstill. And you see. The, God, the way that God dealt with David here then, although it would have been incredibly tough for him, it was agonizing. And although maybe as we look on, it might seem harsh and you know, that God put him through this experience. You know, in fact, this was the only truly loving thing to do. This was love. Because it drove David in his distress to find the root and then to find the solution to his problem. Verse 5, it says, Then I acknowledge my sin to you, and I did not cover up my iniquity. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. The solution being then, by confession and by repentance, that is by acknowledging his sin and by turning from that sin, God, by doing this, bringing his sin, bringing his guilt right out into the open, and dealing with it by letting God deal with it. But we're going to explore this in just a bit more detail as we move on now to look at, at David's discovery, found here in verse 6 to 9, where he says, therefore, out of his experience... Let everyone who is godly pray to you while you may be found. Surely when the mighty waters rise, they will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you and watch over you. Do not be like the horse or mule which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. So what was David's discovery here? Well, his personal discovery that's summed up in a verse, but that's got accompanying elements of it scattered throughout this psalm, It's simply of the need to pray, of the need for God's people to pray, to pray open, and honest prayers of confession that seek God's forgiveness. Verse 6, therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you. Now, the fact that this was the content of this prayer and and that this prayer was answered is is really testified to by the the whole tenor of this psalm. But, But how was this answered? How does God deal with it when we come aware of our sin, when we come in our brokenness, finally give in to Him, finally admit to what 's been pulling us down in our life, maybe for years? How does God deal with that? God responds by coming in His amazing almighty grace. God responds to His people by coming in his free and forgiving, overwhelmingly powerful grace. And surely here, verse 6 and 7, present as clear a picture as we find anywhere else in the whole of the Bible of just what the grace of God can achieve, what the grace of God can mean in the life of a hurting seeker after God. Because remember, David before this prayer had felt at best as if God... Didn't care for him. At worst he felt as if God had become his enemy. As if God was pursuing him. Pulling him down. Hounding him through his life. As a result. He reached a point where he had no zest for life anymore. Life for him had become an experience of unending drudgery. But now you see. Now. After this prayer. Everything is transformed. For the Lord, who had seemed to be his relentless pursuer, he now knows as his great protector. He knows him as the one who, like the great father he is, lifts his child above the danger, the rushing waters, the torrents of life. The one who draws his needy child into his arms and guards him in all his weakness from danger and trouble. The closest parallel I see to this elsewhere in the Bible is is the New Testament parable of the prodigal son. That undeserving son who's welcomed back as he comes in repentance into the arms of his loving, forgiving father. And this is what God is like. This is what God in his grace gives, wants to give to those who openly and honestly are ready to come to him to confess their sin and seek forgiveness. He gives to those who come the kind of assurance that we read of here, that surely when the mighty waters rise, they will not reach me. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. Now here, let me just say from, from my experience, that when someone's depression like David's here is spiritually based, then in the vast majority of cases, their depression, like his, is due to guilt over unconfessed sin. Sometimes, that sin is something that happened years ago, that they've covered over and never dealt with. Sometimes, It's an unforgiving heart about something that happened years ago or maybe in the here and now. Sometimes it's something even more fundamental than that in our relationship with God. Maybe in that practically we just haven't yielded to to God as Lord in charge of our lives in the way that His Lordship demands. But it doesn't matter what it is until we sort it out until we deal with what needs to be dealt with in our life, our life with God, in fact, our life in general, will never be what it could be, what it should be. You know, David's discovery here, as well as being personal, it also involves a very definite prophetic element. As God here shares with David in the first person the kind of lessons that he hopes David has learned, and that through him, through David, that we too will learn. Verse 8, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you and watch over you. Do not be like the horse and mule which have no understanding but must be controlled by bit and bridle or they will not come to you. Now basically, what God's saying here is, listen, I'm going to give you. All of the instruction, all of the help you need to prevent you from making the same mistake all over again. So don't be stupid. Don't be like a horse or a mule that have got to be driven, they've got to be forced to go where they should go. Don't force me to put you through the same pain again to get you to where you should be. Rather, be teachable. Be responsive. How many Christians are there who need to learn this? To learn the lessons of past experience, of past mistakes. How many? David Kidner says of this, God calls for a teachable spirit. If forgiveness is good, fellowship is better. If we have experienced God's heavy hand, verse 4, we then should appreciate and seek his gentler touch. So we've looked at David's distress, David's discovery. We'll finish by looking briefly at David's delight. And we find David's expression of delight his discovery of the forgiveness of God in both the first two and in the last two verses of the psalm. Verse 1 and 2. Blessed is he, whose transgression is forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him and in whose spirit is no deceit. In verse 10 and 11, many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the man who trusts in him. Rejoice and be glad, you righteous! Sing, O oh you who are upright in heart. Well, you know, there's no doubt. Is there? It's simple. It's clear that here we find the heartfelt cry of praise of a man, an outpouring of praise of a man who's known the light of the grace of God break in to the darkness of his life. But there are two short phrases in this psalm that that finally I want to highlight, first of all in verse 2 blessed is the man in whose spirit is no deceit you see if we want to share in David's experience here if we want to know this in our lives then we have to be prepared to be absolutely open and honest with God and with ourselves. We need to be ready to have our sin brought out into the open and to have it dealt with by him. That's the non-negotiable starting point of the joy that we find here. The other phrase I want to highlight is actually found in verse 6, where there David says, therefore, because of his experience, let everyone who is godly pray to you those prayers of confession and repentance. But then it finishes, while you may be found. you get that? This is the day of God's grace. This is the day when God can be found. This is maybe the day when God is speaking into your heart and your life. But this day won't last forever. So if God is speaking to you now, then you need to get things right with God. Right now. You need to get things right in your life. Let's come and pray together. Father, we just want to thank you for your word, for the fact that it reaches into every experience of our life, that everything that we face in in life today is dealt with in your word. You alone today know where we are in our life. You alone today know the hearts of your people. But if you have spoken to us today, then our Father, help us to deal with whatever needs to be dealt with in our life, to be open, to be honest, to confess and to repent, to turn again to you, that we might find the joy today that only those who are in right relationship with Jesus know. This we pray in his name. Amen.